Welcome to the Evangel Temple Youth Ministries podcast. We pray that this message would be instrumental in God speaking to you and drawing you closer to Him. Now, here's today's sermon. So, I'm pretty sure everybody knows me. I'm Abby. Um, I'm a youth leader here, and we're so we're going into the last chapter of Philippians. So we've been um, going through the book of Philippians, I think, since November. So we're wrapping it up uh, this week and the next few weeks. So we're in the last book of Philippians. And um, before we start, let me pray. Uh, Father, I pray that you would anoint, anoint our time together um, as we read your word and we dive in. I pray that you would anoint this message to touch everyone who hears it um, and that we would leave this room changed. In your wonderful name, amen. All right, we're going to jump right in. So I am talking about Philippians 4, 2 through 9. And if you want to put a title on your little, uh, whatever those things are called that you fill out, your notes, it's called the characteristics of a Christ follower. So, all right, so Philippians 4, 2 through 9, it says, I entreat Euodia, or entreat also means urge, I urge Euodia, Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So remember, as we're going through the book of Philippians, Paul is trying to shape the perspective of the church at Philippi in a specific way, in a way that the people can rejoice through hardships, make sense of suffering, and love their neighbors. He tells us over and over again that followers of Christ look a certain way, they act a certain way, and they think a certain way. And Paul is trying to show us how a Christ follower should think and the things that a Christ follower should do. Um, Paul uses the word mindset many times throughout the book of Philippians uh, because that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to shape the mindset of the people of Philippi. If he can shape their outlook and mind about the world and Jesus, then everything else will follow. So in this chunk of verses, he's giving the church at Philippi in this letter um, three specific commands are... um, characteristics, he's showing them three different characteristics of what a Christ follower should do. In verses two through five, we see his first command. And his first command is his his call to Christians, and his first command is to seek unity. And that is in verses two through five. And it says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonable reasonableness be known to everyone. So the Philippians have this thriving community of believers, and 
we see in these verses that there's this friction between Euodia and Syntyche. And we can relate to this here at Evangel Temple. We have a thriving community of believers here in our youth group and our church as a whole. But sometimes there's friction. We don't always agree on everything. Uh, We butt heads on certain issues. um, And it creates friction within our church and within our community. Now, these verses don't say what the conflict was with Euodia. Euodia and Syntyche, but we do know what it wasn't. It wasn't a doctrinal issue because Paul would have addressed it and corrected it. And we know it wasn't a sin issue because Paul would have rebuked that. So instead, we can um, come to the conclusion that they were arguing about um, something of lesser importance over preferences or opinions. But we should also understand that these women are mature Christ followers. And we see that in verse Three, when it says, and the rest of my, these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So they know the scriptures. They've been um, spreading the gospel with, alongside Paul. So they're mature, faithful Christians who have given their life for the gospel. But their devotion and maturity didn't safeguard them against arguing over less important issues, like I said, over preferences or opinions. There is nothing wrong with having preferences or opinions, but our preferences and opinions cannot be more important than our unity. There is no hope of unity apart from Jesus. Nothing less than Christ himself can bear the strain of holding sinners at peace with each other and holding us in unity. People want, uh, sometimes people in churches get in silly arguments over things like uh, the view of end times, a translation of the Bible, having the building decorated a certain way, musical styles, and we all have different, we like, some of us like modern worship music, some of us like hymns, and we get so caught up in this, it creates friction within our community. The body of Christ is made up of men, women, children of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And unity is only possible if we rise above our opinions and our preferences and focus on Jesus. We see that the peace of the church is of the utmost importance to Paul. He mentions it at the very beginning of, as he's closing the book, this is the last chapter, this is the first things he mentions as he's closing his letter to the Philippians, is that the church should be in unity. Um, Is unity that important to us as it was to Paul? Are we willing to lay down our differences to pursue the cause of Christ? Paul knows that this disunity between Euodia and Syntyche could cause a greater disunity within the church, so he wants to stop it at his core. So are we willing to lay down our preferences and opinions to see Christ's community come together? Verses 4 through 5, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness That word is hard to say. Reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So Paul goes on to say, rejoice in the Lord. Rather than argue about what we don't have in common, let's rejoice in what we do have in common, and that's Jesus. When Paul is speaking of rejoicing, he isn't talking about the kind of happiness that the world uh, celebrates. He doesn't mean do whatever it takes to be happy. He's not talking about a random emotional response because you've done good for yourself and you've pushed yourself up the ladder. The word 
the word. <laughs> the word rejoice through Philippians. Uh, so this word that he uses here, um, when he says rejoice, he uses it multiple times throughout Philippians. And translated in Greek, the word means gift. So this isn't a forced emotion that you make yourself feel when bad things happen. To rejoice literally means to be aware of a gift, the gift of life, the gift of breath. Life is a gift, the gift of love, the gift of getting up every day. To rejoice means to be aware of this gift. It's about waking up to the reality around us. The reality is good because Jesus has reconciled us to the Father and he is making all things new. I believe that rejoicing is something that we have to condition ourselves to do sometimes. It's not that we aren't thankful for the life God's given us. We just forget to do it. It's also pausing in the middle of the hard days and remembering even though this situation is tough and it's hard, I still have a reason to rejoice. Even though everything may be crumbling around you, you still have a reason to rejoice. As Paul, Paul is the perfect example of this. As he is writing, rejoice in the Lord, Paul is sitting in prison as he's writing this letter. Paul had a reason not to rejoice as he was sitting in prison, but he knew that God deserved his praise despite his circumstance. Verse 5, Paul says, to let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And this, tough word to pronounce for me, um, some of your Bibles might say gentle spirit or gentleness in certain translations. Uh, and scholars have a, this is a tricky word to translate. Um, being reasonable means that you can be reasoned with. In the context of relationships and conflict, it means that you're winnable, that you're eager, eager for restoration or reconciliation, I think the best way to summarize the idea is that um, you let your desire for restoration be known to everyone. Everyone knows that you're quick to forgive, that you're quick to seek peace. Because we are sinners, we offend people, and because other people are sinners, they offend us. When we offend others, we are to be humble and long for peace. When we are offended by others, we are to be reasonable, winnable, eager to forgive. It's hard to admit that we are wrong, but it is equally hard to forgive those who have wronged us. I think that's why many of the epistles focus on rec reconciliation, not on the offender, but on the one who's been offended. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We can't make others act this way, but we can watch ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit and find unity in the Lord. So the first point, uh, characteristic of a Christ follower, is to seek unity. And the second one Paul talks about in these verses is to be prayerful. In verses 6 through 7, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in pr everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul makes a very important contrast in this set of verses. He knows, as we know today, that anxiety plagues us. It plagues our minds. It it inca incapacitates us. 
and keeps us in bondage to our fears of the future. So it's very important when Paul covers the issue of worry that he tells us worry in nothing or no one thing. Paul is not giving us a command to lessen our worry or even change our worry, and he's not even telling us to eliminate our worry. He is telling Christians to substitute their worry with prayer. Paul tells us not to be anxious, but rather as an alternative to being anxious, be in prayer. This is an interesting contrast because prayer is an act of submission, not an act of control. Rather than telling them to get their act together and stop being anxious, he again is trying to help them realign their perspective to point to the only one who can bring them freedom from their anxiety and all the things that they are worrying about. Prayer puts us in our place. You pray because prayer is an act of dependence on God and not on yourself. It's the peace of God that is the alternative to anxiety. It surpasses our understanding and our control of a situation. They aren't called simply to have peace. They are offered peace, and they can accept it. Peace isn't something that comes easy. We often depend on ourselves, our own successes, and our own ability to give ourselves freedom. But that what, that's what creates more anxiety in our lives, trying to do everything for ourselves and trying uh, to reach the ladder of success. The peace of God comes to those who receive it, and that allows their dependence on God to be greater than their dependence on themselves. You accept and experience this peace through prayer, an acknowledgement you need God and that you depend on him because you can't do it yourself. So what should you say about prayer? Verse 6 says anything, what should you pray about? Verse 6 says anything and everything. So how should we pray? First, pray, which is talking to the Lord, speak to him using your words. Second, it says to supplicate before him. Uh, That means to appeal appeal before him your heart and soul. The second half of verse 6 says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the word thanksgiving that Paul uses here is translated from the Greek word eucharista, where we get the word eucharist. Eucharist is another name for the Lord's Supper in which it's a time for us to give thanks for Jesus' death on the cross where he gave his body and shed his blood. All of our thanksgiving begins there when Jesus died on the cross at Calvary. If we have been saved, we have much to be thankful for. Verse 7 goes on to say, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. His peace becomes our guard. It says it will guard your hearts and your minds. Paul has guards all around him at this time in prison, but he said that God's peace became his guard. The peace of God stands guard over our minds and keep us keeps us focused on Christ. I don't know if you've ever um, been in a situation or a moment where you're just so overwhelmed and you pray and it's like this just like, whoo, you can like let a breath out. And it's like you've just taken that like burden, your shoulders are like up here and it's like, uh, and then you pray and you give it over to God and it's like just like a release of all the stress because you're trusting him and you're relying on him that he has it all together. 
Um, for the sake of full disclosure, I do want to point out that verse 7 doesn't say, pray and God will give you whatever you ask for. But, and the peace of God will guard your heart and minds in Christ. You may not think this is true, but the peace of God is better than any answer to prayer. The peace of God is God's own peace. Perfect, unshakable, certain, content, and joyful. So finally, we get to Paul's last command. So we have seek unity. His first command is seek unity, and we see that with Euodia and Syntyche, and he says, calm whatever friction is going on between you two. He says, be prayerful, be in prayer, and that will release your anxiety, and he'll give you peace. And finally, um, his command is to think and do. Verses 8 through 9 say, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is wrapping up this section of verses. He's trying to help shape the mindsets of the Philippians, like I mentioned earlier, and show them the characteristics that are important for each individual and the church body as a whole. The human mind will always set itself on something. We're always thinking about something. And Paul wished to be quite sure that the church at Philippi would set their minds on the right things. The pastor at the church I go to in Memphis always says, whatever you think about longest will become strongest in your life. And I found this to be true in my own life. When I dwell on certain thoughts or certain situations, it seems to just overtake me. That's all I talk about. That's all I think about. That is why Paul is telling us these important things to dwell on. He isn't telling us, it's important to point out, he isn't telling us what's true, what's honorable, what's just, what's lovely. Uh, He just says, whatever these things are, he recognizes that these adjectives are very subjective. He obviously thinks there's a difference between truth and falsity and right and wrong. He's just not telling us what they all are or what he thinks they are in this case. Peace from God isn't found in being right and everyone else being wrong. The book of Philippians, what we have spent uh, learning over months of the last few months, provide us with a system in which we can make these kind of discerning decisions together as a community and throughout our study of Scripture. Together we can discern what is true, what is lovely, what does that mean? Paul has told us to pray. In an act of showing our dependence on God, we are to act on the things that we have learned. We are to act on these things and live out what we have seen and learned. We learn to rejoice. We discipline our perspective to keep God's entire story in reach. We learn to rejoice while suffering. When your life becomes Christ-focused on his death and resurrection, then we begin to have a proper perspective and ability on making judgments on what these pure, commendable, and lovely things are and which we will soon find out these things are not the same things as the dominant culture and what we find ourselves in. Paul is also not giving us a list of things not to do. This is not an attempt to rid us of all our bad behaviors that we have. 
Rather, he is taking a different approach. He wants us to be morally excellent. He wants the church at Philippi and us to be a community that stands as an alternative to the culture that we reside in. Not just a community that toots the horn of whatever our culture thinks is excellent, but a community that determines what is excellent for a world that is Christ's community. These things that Paul has called us to do are so countercultural. Our culture doesn't seek unity. It seeks making a name for yourself and pushing down anyone who will get in your way, but that's not the way of Jesus. Our culture is drowning in anxiety and depression because the things going on around us, not only in our personal lives, but around us in America and in the world, seem to be so overwhelming, but that's not the way of Jesus. Our culture doesn't seek to think on things above or to think about things that are pure. It's not the way of Jesus. But when we seek unity and are prayerful and think about righteous things and also do them, then like the last part of verse 9 says, the peace of God will be with you. When you do these things, the peace of God will be with you. I think all of these verses wrap up to some in in verse 9. Verse 9 sums it all up. When you do these things, when you seek unity, when you're prayerful, and when you think and do these things, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is honorable, then the peace of God will be with you in every circumstance, whether there's a friction in your church and you're trying to find unity, whether you're anxious and are being and seeking to be in prayer, the peace of God will be with you. So if you guys could stand up and spread out. So as we go into this time of prayer and worship, I want you guys to think about some, I'll let you get there before I, let you get there. So as we're going into this time, um, as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about specifically the point of unity. You know, in a youth group, we have a lot of sometimes drama, so that creates a disunity in the youth group or maybe in the church. So maybe there's some people in here that you need to seek forgiveness from. Maybe you know that you said some things to someone that were hurtful. Um, so maybe you need to pray about seeking forgiveness from someone in this room or maybe someone just inside the church. Or maybe there's someone that's really hurt you and you want to let go of that burden, um, we have leaders that can pray with you about that. And also, not only that, praying for unity for our church, um, just so we become a stronger group of believers and that we would um, be more unified for the goal of Christ. Um, And also, just being in prayer. I don't think we pray a lot. Um, At least I don't pray as much as I know I should. Um, But as we go throughout our day, even as we go into the next week, just being more thoughtful about are we just like thinking and our minds are just rambling on a bunch of different things when we could be praying. So if you just want to take your time and think about those things. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you want to find out more about our youth ministry or any other ministry here at Evangel Temple, you can visit our website at etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.